Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's Religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. Advent in Egypt began with 25 Coptic Christians killed by a suicide bomber on December the 11th, in a year when, very briefly, the West noticed the murder of Christians around the world. In July, 85-year-old Father Jacques Hamel was killed in the sanctuary of his church in Normandy. That shocked European public opinion, but it can't have shocked Christians elsewhere. An example, in June, northern Nigeria, the pastor's wife, um, 74-year-old Mrs. Bridget Agbahimi, was beaten to death by a mob of 500 after a rival Muslim shopkeeper accused her of blasphemy. In the same month, in a single day, 460 Christian villagers were murdered by Boko Haram for refusing to convert. Meanwhile, there are just so many countries where attacks on Christians have gone unreported. Bangladesh, Eritrea, and that trendiest of holiday destinations, the Maldives, where if the lady cleaning your chalet preaches the gospel, she'll go to jail. Notice a common thread? But let's add to that list Burma and India, where Buddhist and Hindu extremists respectively make life hell for small Christian minorities. It's the forgotten persecution, said a political journalist friend of mine. I said, forgotten by whom? And he said, the Foreign Office which also forgets the demolition of churches in China and, of course, the fact that converting to Christianity in Saudi Arabia is punishable by death by our allies. Not forgotten, though, by Vladimir Putin, who justifies the slaughter in Aleppo in terms of the defence of Christianity, which, as a propaganda strategy, is quite clever because most world leaders don't even seem aware that there are Christians in the Middle East. I'm joined by Douglas Murray, Associate Editor of The Spectator, and Freddie Gray, Deputy Editor of The Spectator. Before we discuss Putin, what about this general indifference and the forgetfulness of the Foreign Office when it comes to persecuted Christians? Douglas? I think there are two aspects to this, really. The first is the fact that the persecution of Christians worldwide has been going on for such a long time in so many different countries that it's not something you can answer with an initiative it's not a single group of people it's it's not a single adversary you're dealing with you're dealing with multiple foreign governments so I can see why it's the sort of thing which anybody would balk at trying to find an answer to as it were and and anything in Whitehall that doesn't have an obvious answer is therefore a problem that is hard to accept as a problem the second thing is the unarguable fact, I think, that, that uh, Christians are um, an uncool minority. They don't have, I don't know, the kind of allure and otherness and strangeness that some people seem to like in their well, persecuted groups. they don't have groups. celebs, do they? They don't have celebs. They've got nothing going for them in the sort of celeb world view of, you know, righteous causes. And uh, that's why I think it just adds insult to injury across the West that this is such a, an unbothered-about story. And I might add that the most upsetting thing of all, I think, for a great many Christians is, is the fact that church leaders are so silent in the face of this. And this is really one of the greatest scandals. There are reasons, obviously, why church leaders are fearful about being seen to highlight a persecution that may, by highlighting it, make it even worse. There is an argument there. But the result is a sort of um, an attitude which is, well, if they're not speaking up for themselves, why would we bother to speak up for them? Well, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I've mentioned this before, but there was nothing to stop Pope Francis when his friend Fidel Castro died 
uh, from mentioning the fact that Fidel Castro persecuted, tortured, imprisoned, and murdered Christians for many decades, but actually the Holy Father didn't get around to mentioning it. Freddie, do you think Christian leaders do enough to raise awareness? I think they probably could do more. I think the Church in England and Wales could do more. I think they're nervous of it because it is, as Douglas says, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a sort of very media-friendly topic. But going back to the Foreign Office, I mean, I think something I've noticed speaking to civil servants when I used to cover these stories a lot in the Catholic Herald was that you talk to them for a while and then when you sort of get off the quotes and get talking to them about the, the background of the story, you realise that in their minds they equate religion with violence anyway. Hmm. And so they think, of course, Christians are being murdered because religion is a violent thing. They don't see it as a sort of an imbalance in the persecution of Christians. They think that it's just what happens when people are religious. Uh, they well, I mean, there's, you know, they they're, they're, not, they're not necessarily entirely wrong. There's no, a no. I mean, religious but, nationalism. I, mean, I, I mentioned that Hindus and Buddhists behave violently towards Christians as, uh, as well as Muslims. Muslims, in turn, get horribly, some of them horribly persecuted. Yes. In, in, in Burma, for example, and Christians are perfectly capable of the most savage persecution themselves. Yes, and indeed, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult point to make, but I think that, you know, does Christianity thrive to a certain extent on the persecution? I mean, it's a religion that that is all about suffering. And in fact, uh, you know, if you look in China, you have uh, quite mobilised and energised religious commu- Christian communities um, because they are living under, under oppression. Well, Christianity isn't going to disappear, for example, in Africa, just because Boko Haram disgracefully murders villagers. Mm. Christianity is absolutely booming. Christianity is booming in China as well, which may explain why the government is behaving in such a heavy-handed, to put it mildly, attitude towards particularly unregulated Pentecostal pastors. But the Foreign Office says nothing about this. It says nothing about it in China. It says nothing about it in Saudi Arabia, Douglas. Supposing Theresa May, when she yes. had gone to Saudi Arabia, vicar's daughter, supposing she'd worn a cross around her neck. Yes. it's it's This, this is an enormously difficult subject in a way, isn't it? Because... Something has happened in recent years that, that that politicians, I think, in countries like ours have not yet got used to, which is that international affairs has become, to a great degree, transparent. I mean, people can see through this stuff now. Members of the public now know that the Saudi Arabian government is all sorts of terrible things. You, it's, it's not a secret anymore. It's not a secret that Asia Bibi, a Christian woman, is still on waiting, well, almost certain execution in Pakistan for her faith because a neighbor accused her of uh, um, a blasphemy against Islam. And they can't get the trial uh, happening in Pakistan because no judge will let her off because any judge that lets her off in Pakistan will be killed. So the case of Asia Bibi, of one woman, can be international. Everybody knows about it. And yet our governments have to pretend that countries where this happens are allies. And I think that they are... Um, they're taking what for the short term is the safest route, which is to sort of not talk about it. But they have to at some point, and I think the publics uh, of countries like ours are clever enough to understand the imperatives of diplomatic discourse and also quite rightly to demand a higher standard from our governments when dealing with so-called allies. There should be, in my view, not a penny of aid to Pakistan as a country, not a penny as long as Asia Bibi is imprisoned. And I think the British public could understand that we might have strategic relations with Pakistan that are necessary, but that we don't need to help to that extent if they will not help our views. You've kind of answered the question I, I was going to ask. I was talking to Freddie earlier about raising awareness, but actually I'm a bit suspicious of the cult of 
raising awareness because mm. we can do a lot of virtue signaling and perhaps that's what I'm I'm doing here but nonetheless we can put pressure on governments yes i mean particularly when they are governments that we that we support i mean that are begging governments basically you have to of course be careful i think by the way that in the relation to the saudis there's something very interesting happening at the moment in the last year in particular i've noticed that saudi human rights abuses of which you know one could spend one's entire life talking they give you a lot of material that government but the there is something interesting that's happened in the last year or so which is that the Saudi human rights abuse, including its attitudes towards other religions, has become more and more commonly written about in the media. There's one issue in that that I think has to be approached with caution. There's an enormous push to suggest that the the Saudi form of Sunni Islam is the root of all international problems to do with Islam. And I would say it's a very careful campaign that is being pushed at the moment, which one has to be careful of. Because, of course, the Shia power, in particular Iran, are just as capable Mm -hmm. of the persecution of religious minorities, including predominantly Christians. And so... In a way, if you latch onto a single one, if you say Saudi Arabia, for instance, because it's our ally, X, Y, Z, it's absolutely vital. But one has to keep remembering that, you know, everywhere else you look, you see the same problem. But most terrorists who carry out acts in the West are Sunni. I mean, there's, yeah. I mean almost all. Yeah, but I mean, the, the Khomeinist regime in Iran has been pumping out just as vile and virulent hatred for decades. Yeah. I wonder and, with the Saudis uh, whether it's purely economic in that they're no longer, you know, the price of oil has collapsed, they're ruining themselves trying to pump, out-pump America. They're diplomatically a less important force. I wonder whether that's, that's why it's become much more acceptable for even politicians now to hint that they are not happy with. Yes, it could be that, although as the Swedish uh, foreign minister showed when she intervened in this debate last year, you know, there's yes. still a price to pay politically yes. for highlighting these things. I just simply think that a strong and confident nation would be able to say, well, we have to have some diplomatic relations with you, might even have to have trade relationships with you. But that does not make us your subordinate in ethical matters, and we do not have to accept awful, filthy views that you have. We're now in a bizarre situation where Vladimir Putin is telling us that we are his subordinates in ethical matters because we're not defending Christianity in its heartlands, and he is. Now, I'm unconvinced that this former KGB torturer is a devout Orthodox Christian, although I'm sure that his puppet church is utterly devoted to him, as they say they are. Um, Nonetheless, Freddie, you've been in America a lot this year. Putin's strange popularity in the American heartland actually has an awful lot to do with the fact that people see Putin constantly talking about the threat to Christianity in the Middle East and saying, I'm doing something about it, even if what he's doing about it is actually barbaric. I think that's completely right. I think they see him as someone who's willing to smash Islamism where our puny governments aren't, particularly Trump voters think like that. But it's also gay marriage. I mean, I think that they think that Putin is the one major world leader who's willing to stand up to gay marriage. And often people aren't very comfortable talking about that, but I think subliminally it, it affects their idea of Russia as, as the one social conservative state in the world and the most important one. Douglas, do you, do you expect that President Trump's administration will approach the question of the persecution of Christians any differently from that of Obama, who is definitely not terribly interested in the subject? 
Uh, yes, I do actually. I mean, I mean, I refuse to make any predictions of what will happen under a Trump presidency because, let's face it, who knows? Let's face it, he won. Um, and um, but, but I certainly think from everything that he and a lot of the people around him have said that they are more than aware of this issue and uh, more than aware of the of the risks that it poses. And, and I, I think Fred is right. I mean, there is. Vladimir Putin has simply seen an extraordinarily big gap in world affairs of an opportunity, a job application for somebody who wants to be seen to be the defender of Christendom, for want of a better term. By the way, I mean, some people uh, admire this. Some people think it's entirely a a charade. I think it's simply something one has to accept that that job is available and uh, nobody else was going to take it. If along the way I think that the highlighting of the persecution of Christians in the Middle East is at least a story, then some good comes from it. But, I mean, it's uh, it's real politique uh, that he's pursuing in the Middle East. It's not an ethical policy. I mean, he's simply got the best opportunity Russia has had since the 70s to have a proper foothold and influence on the region. If you can coat that in a cassock, then you know, good luck to you. But that's not the motivation. And I think if we're worried that Westerners don't sort of really appreciate the fact that there are actually Christians in the Middle East, I think we'd be fairly confident Donald Trump doesn't know the sort of numbers and differences of Christianity in the Middle East either. So I, I... No, but he has on the on uh, very interesting that during the campaign, of course, when he made his famous comments about zero uh, Muslim immigration into the US until we work out what's going on. Yeah. It was also part of that statement that if he said that if I think it was part of that statement or one of the satellite interviews around it, that we, America, are going to take people in, we should be taking in Christians from the region. So they're obviously aware of this. But I just also point out, by the way, I mean, the Middle East, basically the population transfers, I mean, are almost over in the ISIS held areas. I mean, that's that's it, really. And it's very hard to see how Christianity in, in Iraq, Syria, recovers in any meaningful sense. Mm. But Africa will be the one, I think, that will just continue to... I mean, the numbers in Africa, the persistence of the attacks on the Nigerian churches, for instance, the, just, the regularity is so astonishing that it just doesn't, it doesn't get reported in the Western press. Nobody goes, nobody, nobody brings back the stories of what is happening, but it is... It is just persistent and uh, permanent uh, persecution. And the interesting thing is, of course, is that the leaderships of those churches, as it goes back to what Freddie said about about a sort of thriving on um, persecution, I mean, they I've, I've spoken to some of the leaders of those churches, and I've always been very struck by the extent to which they accept the situation they're in and are willing to embrace martyrdom. You know, it's an extraordinary thing to hear in the 21st century, but, uh, but that's the language they think in. As it happens, I was, I was talking to Cardinal Turkson, from Ghana, now in the Vatican. I asked him about this, and he said, you've got to remember that the Islam we encounter in Ghana now is not the Islam that I grew up with. Mm. And it's very important for us to understand which Muslims hate Christians and which are prepared to live in the old ways, but he didn't seem at all optimistic about it. No, and I mean, the problem is is that historically, of course, there have been multiple accommodations made in different ways, but they rely on an acceptance of who dominates. And if that is up for grabs, as it is in multiple countries across Africa, mm. then there is no, no stopping of that. So when people say, for instance, you know, we used to get on so well in the past, if a country was ruled by Islam, then you know, Christians could know where they stood in the country. But when it's all up for grabs, 
I mean, it can all just be chaos for the rest of time. Is it just a cliche then that sort of Islam respects the people of the book, and that is, is that just a? No, I mean it's true, but it's it's, it's well, it's uh, here we go into deep waters. Um, uh, so let's dive in. There is in the Quran and in the Hadith, and there is acknowledgement that the people of the book are treated differently from polytheists, for instance, mm. um, and whenever. Christians or Jews tell me, well, you know, this is a good sign. Okay, how do you feel for your Hindu friends? You know, um, uh, they don't do well out of that deal. But uh, yes, it, it's it's there, and it's all highly contestable because, I mean, you you two know this. A, a lot of people, I think, in the modern age, don't quite understand that when Muslim leaders talk about their problems with other religions. They mean it not as a sort of negotiating issue or an issue of foreign policy or tactics within the foreign office of their respective countries. They mean everything that one can imagine in life and death and the hereafter and the meaning of everything. It is a totalistic view. Hmm. And if you understand you are fighting not only for your own soul but the soul of the entire world and the victory, the ultimate victory of Islam, then... It's all fair game. And for the technocratic classes of the West, and this is one of the things Cardinal Turkson mentioned, particularly the European Union, mm. this is incomprehensible. Utterly incomprehensible. I had, uh, um, I won't say who, but I had a conversation earlier this year with somebody, very, very well-informed uh, London person, of some, I suppose some note one might say, who said to me, I don't understand what ISIS want. So I said, oh, well, well, I'll tell you, this is what they want, they want to do this and that. Now the, and uh, this person said, but that's incredible. I mean, it's extraordinary. of course, they can't really, but what do they really want? And I just couldn't get through. And I had this, guy, this experience quite a few times in my life, that when, when somebody says, but I don't understand, what do ISIS, what do Boko Haram, what do they want? Well, they want to convert the entire world to Islam, institute the rule of God's, Allah's law on earth, and then welcome in the end times, if possible. No, 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 surely it must be something to do with tax distribution. (laughs) I'm going to spend the rest of the day, unless you tell me later, trying to guess who this moron you spoke to was. (laughs) But the depressing thing is it could be almost anybody. It could be Tory, it could be Labour, it could actually be a clergyman. Yes, yes, it could be absolutely anybody. It seems so incomprehensible to most people because we're going about our lives and I wonder if I should get a sandwich or a baguette for lunch. (laughs) they, They don't think like that. And that's why, that's why it's not just beyond our comprehension. It, it, the violence seems so far beyond our comprehension. Why would, how could somebody walk in with a suicide belt and blow themselves up among a crowd of worshippers at an Advent service in, in Egypt? For the same reason they can destroy a Shia mosque, uh, uh, worship time in Iraq, uh, for the same reason, because they believe they hold the truth. And everybody else um, uh, refuses to believe that that's what they think. Well, Douglas Murray... Freddie Gray, thank you very much. And since it's Christmas, may I just point out that they haven't succeeded in extinguishing Christianity yet, and they won't. And don't forget, Holy Smoke is The Spectator's new religion podcast. You can find it on iTunes or wherever you go to get your podcast, but don't miss it.